Hey friends, are you familiar with the most trusted business network for business executives? It's the C-Suite Network. If you're a business of $5 million or greater, and if you're a VP level or higher, then you're invited to join the C-Suite Network to connect with your business peers. Go to c-suitenetwork.com, that's a c-suitenetwork.com, to learn more about the benefits, meetings, and services exclusive for C-Suite executives like you. Okay, let's do the show. It's time to accelerate. Hey friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 471 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record where I hold in-depth conversations with today's leading experts in sales, marketing, and leadership six days a week. Now you all know that one of the toughest jobs in sales is hiring salespeople and getting it right is so important because the cost of getting it wrong can be damaging in terms of lost opportunities, lost time, money, and so on. So to to help you get it right, I've created a playbook to hiring the right sales candidates for your company. It's called the How to Hire a Winning Sales Team, the Sales Leader's Five-Step Guide to Better Sales Hiring. Best of all, it's free. Just go to accelerate.fm forward slash winning to download your free guide today. That's accelerate.fm forward slash winning to get your copy today. So joining me on the show today is Kristen Shivago. She's president at Cloud Potential and author of a book, Roadmap to Revenue, How to Sell the Way Your Customers Want to Buy. You know, it's an excellent book, and it's a topic we're going to explore today. And we've explored it a fair amount on the show recently. Guests just last week on the show, Sharon Drew Morgan, we talked about this. Are you selling the way your customers want to buy? So we're going to jump into it now. Kristen, welcome to Accelerate. Thank you. Thank you very much. So big problem you sort of outline in the book is that we're selling all wrong. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. Actually, I mean, just to summarize it, we're just we're all out to lunch because we're not selling the way customers want to buy. Yeah, and actually, I wrote that book a few years ago, and what's happened even since then has been uh, not even evolutionary, but but uh, revolutionary. What's happened is mobile and Google has have both conspired to change everything, and even things like uh, food near me and whatever near me has uh, turned the whole thing around, and we're now starting to talk about being found marketing. Uh, we have a site up talking about being found in the sense that you have to get in tune with their buying process. They're completely in control. There's no such thing as a funnel anymore. They pop in and pop out, and so you really have to get in sync. The very first conversation you have with the customer, if you're in sales and that's what you're doing, is to ask them where they are in their buying process. Because if you don't get that right, nothing you say is going to matter to them. You're going to be irrelevant. All right. Well, let's unpack that statement because I'm sure that perked up several people's ears and listening in the audiences that, well, what, what do you mean there's no funnel anymore? <laughs> well, it, it, there was a funnel when we did outbound marketing. And I, I have analogies for this. Outbound marketing was where we lined up a bunch of people and sprayed them with water, hoping they wanted to get wet. Uh, inbound marketing was where you identified some people who might want to get wet, and then you tried to selectively hose them. Uh, being found marketing is where there are people who want to get hosed at this very moment, and they want you to take care of their need right now. That's it. So you have to be there when they come to you, and uh, with the right answers, with the right content, which, you know, you have to understand what they're going to be asking 
and then be able to answer those questions. We are completely at the mercy of the buyer now. And so, you know, get over it, get with it. <laughs> well, <laughs> sp- spoken like a mother. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a, a conference happening next month called Outbound. It's all dedicated to proactive outbound prospecting. Mm-hmm. And are you saying that's no longer relevant? No, we still do it. We're all still doing it, but we have to, that's us selling out. That's us looking at the marketplace and trying to give them messages. The new reality, and it's something that we're all now having to struggle with. It's not summoning something that everyone has the answer for, uh, is that the customer, and when you think of this as a buyer, this is the mistake everybody makes. We start being sellers and we start thinking like sellers and we have the needs of sellers. I have to sell more. Well, the buyer, and when we think like a buyer, we're actually very frustrated by voicemail instead of some nice lady answering the phone or a man or whatever, but somebody helpful answering the phone and saying, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hi, I just need to speak to Bob. I'll get him on the phone for you. I mean, those days are done. I actually helped roll out voicemail years and years ago. I was in high tech for years. And I've regretted it ever since because now you have to press one if you're wearing blue and two if you're feeling moody or, you know. And, they and never no one checks. You want. Huh? And no one checks the voicemail. And, right, right, right. <laughs> That's the other thing. So we've actually automated interactions to the point where we are now putting up barriers to people who are standing at the door with money in their hand ready to buy if you could just answer these two questions. They've done their research. They've looked everywhere else. They've looked at you and competitors and different ways of solving the problem. And you're not the only solution. You're not the only way they could solve the problem. But by the time they get to you, they have a couple of questions that you might be able to solve the problem. And you have to be there. You have to be able to answer that question in that moment. It's all very immediate. Well, and that's, yeah, I've, written a whole book about that called Zero Time Selling, which was just based on that premise that when people do talk to you these days, the need is, by definition, urgent. Yes. And it's it's, and it's somewhat controversial because, again, there's still a whole segment of, of people in sales that think that the only legitimate way to develop a prospect is to reach out and touch somebody. And certainly, Gosh, you have to do that from time to time. If you're not being found enough, you need to go be proactive. I mean, there's no argument on that front. Right. right. But it does, yeah, increasingly, you are being found. Right. Right. They have tools at their disposal. And the good news is marketers and salespeople, uh, sales managers, actually have some very phenomenal tools at their disposal as well. Increasingly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You can now see what your competitors are doing. Uh, you can see the ads they're running, which ads are working, how much they're spending, which ads they've started and stopped, what position the ads are on the page. I mean, you can just stand on their shoulders and, and mm-hmm. see what they're doing. Um, you can figure out how they're attracting customers. You can All of that is transparent now. So there's no excuse for not knowing what your competition's doing and at least getting up to that standard. But the big problem is, as you point out in the book, is that in addition to erecting barriers to selling to the buyers, is that you know, we think we try to sell thinking like sellers as opposed to all of the literature that says, yeah, we need to be customer-centric and customer-oriented, which seems to preclude actually thinking like the customer and understanding what they're trying to go through. Right, right. 
And so, that, and I think of it as a, um, a gross assumption problem. That's what GAP stands for. Where <laughs> sitting I like that. Gross assumption problem is a GAP. Yeah. I like that. Uh, you're sitting inside a company, and as a revenue coach, I kept running into this, and now we've started a company to try to solve the problem for lots of people. But um, I would interview my client and ask them what they thought was important to their customer. And it was a list, 10 items or something. And then I'd go out and i interview the customers, and their list was completely different, always, every single time. And so I'd bring that reality back into the company and they would then be able to say, oh, golly, all this time we've been saying this is really important. Uh, in the case of software, for example, it's always the hardest thing that they had to develop. Uh, and so they think that's the most important. And the customer is like, yeah, everybody has that. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. It may not be as elegant as what they, the company came up with, but they're just sort of nonchalant. And they'll say, what I really liked about this product, the, way I, what, the reason I really bought it was because of this. So it turns out that they've been promoting something, spending all their marketing money, sales and all that, promoting this thing that doesn't really matter to the customer. I can't tell you how many times, I mean hundreds of times, that was the most common situation when I went to any size of company, little moms and pops all the way up to... Mm-hmm, I- mm-hmm. In addition to which, I think you oftentimes find, I've found when you talk to customers that... It's also not three or four or five things that were really important. It's usually one thing. Yes. And if they, if they really understood that one thing beforehand, yeah, then the selling would be much more, <laughs> much more easy to accomplish. Yeah. Then they'd have two questions like, how much is it and when can you start? Or when can I buy it? Or how can I buy it? Or where do I sign? I mean, yeah, once I mean, I had, that issue. That's right. Yeah. I, I've told the story before. People listening is... is uh, Large deal salesperson of mine was working on a while ago. It's you know, multiple millions of dollars, and and you know, it's a deal that size, the customer wants a formal proposal, and they had a compliance matrix, and the compliance matrix ran about thirty pages, you know, single space, thirty pages. And I told the rep, I said, no, 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 no. There's got to be one one thing in here. If we can find that one thing and focus on that, we'll win this deal. And he was able to find the one thing. I mean, that was, <laughs> and yeah. We are the real underdog, and yet we came away with the business. Well, that's good. That's a perfect example. That is how so, it works. So you, you talk about you know, interviewing customers and really understanding their buying process and so on. But by the same token, you know, there's been several books recent, recently released that, that talk about the fact that you know, part of the problem, at least in the business-to-business side, is that you know, given, let's say, technology products or others, you know, they don't make a habit of buying these products. So, therefore, they really don't know what their buying process is in advance. Oh, well, so they, that, but that's that, what I recommend in the book. That you, you basically interview your form, your current customers. So but you're that starting, each company is so different that there wouldn't be anything that could be standardized. Oh, no, 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 that's not true. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've interviewed, uh, I had clients, I think Siemens at one point wanted me to interview all oh, just, I don't know, 40 people. And I kept telling them that, Within any given group, okay, so maybe among uh, purchasing agents are going to feel different than the CEO or than the VP level person, granted. Mm -hmm. So you have to interview five to seven people of a given type. But when you do that, by the seventh interview, I guarantee, and I did thousands and thousands of interviews, by the seventh interview, you see the thing they have in common. 
And it often comes down to what I, my famous quote about branding, which was that branding is the promise that you make and your brand is the promise that you keep. Mm-hmm. And uh, your brand is always a conditional statement. Well, they're real good at this, but they're not so good at that. And by the seventh person, you know what that is. And everybody says the same thing, even though they've never talked to each other. It's phenomenal. It's amazing stuff. But I proved that to myself over and over again. And as I mentioned, one company asked me to interview 40 people of a certain type. And I said, guys, you're wasting your money because by the seventh call, I'm really going to know. And they did all say the same thing as I kept going. And so I started testing concepts on them just to give my money, uh, give my client their money's worth. Um, But it's amazing if you talk to them after they buy, they're happy to talk to you because they've invested in you already and they want you to succeed. Mm -hmm. Uh, and they will tell you things they will never tell you while you're selling to them because while you're selling, they're playing poker with you and they're in negotiation sure. mode and they never tell you what they're really thinking. So I'm just thinking of the case of a complex enterprise sale, let's say, where there may be, you know, according to CEB, there now we've got 7.8 stakeholders, influencers in it. And so what you're saying is that you know, those seven, let's say they each hold individual responsibilities, that their peers and your current customers, that their concerns are going to have a certain commonality across company lines. Yes. You will definitely find some uh, idiosyncratic issues that, you know, one company had been burned by a previous experience, and so they were very concerned about one type of thing. Okay, Mm -hmm. you're going to run into that. But the general just of what their concerns and questions are, you'll definitely get a a pattern and you'll be able to identify it. And the reason that the revenue coaching worked is because we were then giving, we figured out what people wanted and then we started giving it to them and it worked because we were giving them what they wanted. What they want. Yeah. Surprising how that works. Now, well, the problem, go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. The thing that has changed in the last couple of years is marketers and sales managers have access to big data about the way customers are buying, where they come in your website, where they drop off, what articles appeal to them the most, um, what things they've shared with each other out in the network, you know, where you see, you can look at something like BuzzSomo and see all the Mm -hmm. articles that people have shared. So there's additional data now that tells you what their decision points and their concerns are. And even more importantly, What's the problem that they're trying to solve and how do they describe that problem? Uh, Because when they come to you, by the time they've come to you, they're past the research phase and then they're into the decision phase. But if you can catch them at the research phase, you're going to be more likely to complete that sale and stay with them if you give answers to the questions that they have at the very beginning. And they never contact a salesperson at that point. They only contact the salesperson when they're in the decision phase, and they're starting to compare options. Well, also, and there are questions that they need answered that they can't find answers for with publicly available information. I mean, that's that's my belief. Is you know, that's the motivation then to reach out and touch a seller. Yeah, um, I agree. Well, as we talk about this becoming thinking like buyers and and truly becoming sort of buyer oriented in that regard. You address this issue that's really sort of a cultural issue. I mean, that manifests itself in several ways. One is you talk about this you know, disconnect between sales and marketing. And this, this is the topic du jour over the last year or two with numerous books being written about it. So talk about that and how, how you sort of perfect that alignment in order to understand how your buyers want to buy. 
Well, you know, I used to think of salespeople as dogs and marketers as cats, just from a cultural perspective. Um, and that's still true to a point. But because the sales process, from the customer's perspective and what they actually want out of that conversation has changed so much, um, salespeople really have a job, which is to listen ask a lot of questions, find out where they are in their buying process, um, understand the next decision point that they need to get to. So rather than taking a client back and starting all those boring presentations, well, this is our company and here's all the logos mm -hmm. and here's how long we've been in business. And the client's just like, oh, God, I saw that already on your website. I get it. Okay. So you don't want to bore them. You want to just get to right where they are and it takes a different kind of personality um, and maybe it's a different kind of dog. I mean, maybe it's not the excited um, chihuahua jumping around kind of dog, but it's more like, you know, the golden retriever. Don't think, I, don't think I'd ever buy from a chihuahua, but yeah. <laughs> I don't think I would either <laughs> or a poodle. Um, that's a good point. Uh, but just, just calm down, listen uh, understand, ask questions. Um, but my business partner is a very good sales guy. And one of the things he has said to me is the guy who asks the most questions wins. Mm -hmm. And I, he's right. And that's really true now, because if you keep asking questions, this, the customer will one, appreciate the fact that you're doing that. And they'll say, wow, this person's really caring about me and asking about me. Um, and they'll be happy to, to give you more information so you can help them. But as you do that, you're going to understand where you fit in their scenario. Sometimes you don't fit, which is okay. Mm -hmm. You say, wait, wait, wait. I just heard you say that. Say that again because I'm not sure we might be the right answer for you. Might It doesn't always happen, but could come up. That client, by the way, will be the one or that customer will be the one that we just got a referral recently because we helped somebody with something and, uh, just sort of, you know, out of the goodness of our hearts. And the next thing we knew, he's sending us um, more business because he just feels guilty, just wants to help us. Um, so good things come from asking questions, caring about the customer, listening really hard, and then doing what you can to help, however that is. Well, you make, <clears throat> excuse me, you make the point in the book that um, this process of making what you call the shift is from you know, thinking about yourself to thinking, thinking like yourself to thinking like the customer and the buyer is, is really first and foremost, a cultural shift that really needs to be shepherded by and embraced by somebody pretty high in the organization. That this is not something that me as an individual sales professional can say, yep, I'm going to change and this is the way I'm going to do it. If I'm working within a structure that's not aligned with that. That is true. Which is why I always did those customer interviews and presented to the CEO. And now in our company, we do a digital uh, impact appraisal and present to the CEO. I was just doing that this morning. Um, and uh, once the CEO sees the light and understands why it's just not a matter of, you know, smiling and dialing, that there really is another human being on the other side. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, and you can do little things like one of the things I always used to say to them was, you know, they say, oh, well, we don't need that kind of research. Our salespeople are talking to customers all the time. So I just say, fine. When was the last time you told a salesperson what you were really thinking? And they go, oh, okay. 
all right. <laughs> There's that. Um, I remember Lou Gerstner. I was actually working for IBM before, during, and after Lou Gerstner came along. And Lou uh, was a customer before he joined mm-hmm. IBM. Right. And he spent like 40% of his time with customers after he was in IBM. And I have to tell you that the difference in IBM's ability to understand what the customer really needed and their focus on that during his tenure was really amazing. And and they've gone back to, you know, just basically selling again. So you're right. It has to start at the top and the CEO needs to understand it and then start building it into the culture. Yeah, there's a certain amount of uh, go through the structure that you are the steps, the three steps you recommended in terms of, of implementing this with starting with the deep interviewing of customers that you talk about, but then meeting and resolving the differences between how you were selling, how you need to sell, you need a referee at that point, yeah. basically, an, ar- yeah. you know, an ultimate arbiter, because, yeah, you'll have some sort of conflict internally, whether it's sales and marketing or sales and other departments and so on. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, and I think the hardest thing is for the sales manager who's been hired to crack the whip and uh, not operate in the same way. I mean, there's a pitch. We've given you the pitch. We've trained you on the pitch. Do the pitch. And customers are just pitched out. They just they don't care. They'll, sh- they'll, they'll shut you down and say, just skip the first five slides. Let's go to, you know, where are you answering this question? And that's where you have to be ready to give them what they need when they need it. So we have, though, you know, this this established phenomenon, you know, within, certainly within the tech business of selling software as a service with as you know heavily proactive outbound, which you know you don't have to spend much time reading online to see. Yeah, no one really likes that. I mean, the customers don't, and I think most, a lot of the sellers don't either. But they're seeing a certain traction with it. Um, yes. And it still works. I mean, we still have campaigns. We still do emails. We still nurture people and, and those who have expressed an interest for a high scrutiny sale. I talk about that in the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, four yeah. levels of scrutiny, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Low, medium, and uh, heavy and intense. Uh, so, yes, there's definitely that reality. But... At the same time, I think all of us have to start thinking about what it means to be there when they come there with the right information so that they get what they need and then you become the one they buy from because at every stage of their decision-making process, you had the data that satisfied the requirement. And you can't guess that. You can't make it up. You, you can't sit there in a room without uh, winning windows and, and make it up. I've trained so many copywriters over the years, and I remember one guy named Rob who I walked in his office, and he just interviewed his first customer, and he was like, ah, ah, and I was like, what's the matter, Rob? He said, I, I can't believe what I just learned, and everything I've been writing is off target, and here's what he cares about. I mean, that moment you have that epiphany, and it really is up to marketing to bring it into the organization. Um through the research uh, and online research as well. Again, I've, I've shifted. Not only am I doing interviews still, we're still doing interviewing customers, but we get so much data about how people buy and what they're looking for that mm-hmm. helps the sales process. So it has to happen or you're just going to be left behind because somebody else will figure it out. And they do. So, 
And they do, yeah. So let's talk about the, briefly about these four levels of scrutiny that you talk about. You had an interesting quote in that chapter, which I thought was, you, know, you said, the best salespeople assume the buyer is bringing plenty of desire to the purchasing activity, but that their level of skepticism is high. Right, right. We used to call it selling in software business, selling in the skepticism swamp, because the people who had bought those products had been so dissatisfied. There isn't a single person out there now in the B2B marketplace who hasn't been burned by a CRM program or an ERP program and has some nightmare story. Mm-hmm. So you're not selling into some virgin environment. You're, you're selling into people who are jaded, cynical, uh, CYA. They don't want to be the one who makes a bad decision and gets that black mark on their little whiteboard that they walk around in you know, their office. Mm-hmm. There's thing you get when you join a company it's this whiteboard that hangs from your neck and if you get too many black marks on it nobody even listens to you in a meeting anymore you can't have that happen so that's what really drives most of the concerns is if i make a mistake uh you know how's it going to make me look i don't want to be the one so you need to answer those questions and understand that that's what they can that's what they're concerned about well, I think about, and conversely, I think that the best salespeople are also skeptical. Yes, and they're realistic, and they're honest, and they say, and they say things like, "I don't know if this is right for you or not. We're going to have to figure that out together." They don't assume it up front. They keep exploring the issue with the customer as the customer would. It's a very subtle, you pull back and you say, wait a minute, let's just go down this road together. I don't know yet if we're right for you or not. I need to ask you some more questions. That's very different than saying, we've got the best and we're the fastest and, you know, <laughs> speeds and feeds. It's yeah, just- well, also, that as a salesperson, you, you can't take at face value the first thing the customer says. That's, That's the function of questioning, right? That's part of what you're exploring and you're digging because... Customers have a lot of motivations for things that they're saying, and usually the first thing you hear is not the real, the real answer. Yes, that is correct. And they'll even test you. They'll say, "Well, it was all right." That's not yes. That's mm-hmm. not. It was great. That was okay. Ask me another question. I've just given you a an entree to ask me another question. So go ahead. Yeah. And they'll yeah. see if you do or not. And if you don't, they'll be like, "Oh well, okay. He doesn't care." He didn't well, yeah, I, yeah, I remember you know, numerous conversations, hundreds, if not thousands of conversations with sales reps that you know, come back and report a, a meeting with a customer. And it's all about, well, the customer said this, and the customer said this. And it's like, well, I know, it's okay. So how'd you drill down on that? Well, no, oh. they said they were, and it's like, no, no, no. You know, it's just like, <laughs> yeah. if you're going to think like a buyer, yeah. and the buyers have skepticism, you know, as a seller, you have to be skeptical as well. I think it's also depth. And something they don't teach you in sales school, so to speak, is, is deep thinking. It, you know, the idea of not being eager and accepting and just saying, okay, that's it, and being a surface skimmer. You can't do that anymore. It just doesn't work because the customer is not surface skimming. Even, even now for the low scrutiny products, you know, the impulse purchases, mm-hmm. you can spend four hours on the web trying to find $2 off on a $6 item. Yeah, no, that's true. Because they can. Yeah, well, they can, and they mistakenly think that they're being effective and efficient doing that. Oh. <laughs> Saving two bucks after four hours, right? That's right, but happens, yeah. 
Yeah, well, and just the way that that uh, there's a great book um, called Absolute Value, written by a couple of professors from Stanford. I don't know if you had a chance to read it, but you know they talk about this whole phenomenon that you know the power of the technology is that your buyers have a chance given not only information they get from your website, but all the review sites that exist and you know peer networking through the social networks and so on to come really close to being able to actually experience the value of the product that you have before they even talk to you for the first time. Absolutely. I said that years ago. I was saying that it used to be the salesperson provided 80% of the information and then or and then uh, 20% they could get somewhere else. Now it's no, almost 95% they get somewhere else and then they just mm-hmm. come to the salesperson for those little last bits. Well, and you have an interesting, so when you talk about your structure you have that all purchases go through that you outline one is that they have a need they search for a solution they come to you this is the being found part that you're working on now you answer questions satisfaction to their satisfaction they purchase and then they tell others about the experience you know this concept in there i thought interesting explore you call follow the scent so why don't you explain what that meant well again if you're asking questions and trying to understand what they want. There's a path that people follow as they're trying to get to you. Now, it's not as linear as it had been. Sometimes they can bounce in and out like little gnats on a hot roof, you know. Um, But there are decision points along the way. And the trick now is to map the real ones, not the ones you think. Mm -hmm. Because we all think that they're going to want this set of questions answered and then this set of questions. Well, maybe not. Maybe the boss has come into the person researching and said, you just make sure that we don't have that problem with this again, because remember last time, you know, the ERP blew up in our face. So ask that question first. So they may go digging just for that first. And that's mm-hmm. the, the go, no go question. So you need to understand that people that are buying this have been burned by that. And now they're frustrated. And there's probably, you know, 10 of your former customers will tell you that that's where they were when they, when they came to look for you and why they were looking for a solution because that thing wasn't working the way it should. You know, industries go through these waves where people try a CRM and then that doesn't solve their marketing problem because it's too hard to use or they need a programmer or they use Salesforce or something. It's too complex, too complex. So... Yeah, well, I think it's, or, to me, it's, it's a real cautionary tale in many respects that for companies, that especially now, you know, becoming much more formalized either, you know, manually or in, a, in conjunction with technology in terms of defining their stages and their exit criteria for their sales stages, is, yeah, have they verified those with the customer? Yeah. yeah. Because you can do a great job of putting together a playbook and have it automated. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't, to, to your point, is if you haven't, validated that with customers off target right i mean no, I mean, there are exceptions of you know companies have new products and they're just learning but yeah yeah you need you need those are situations you need to learn quickly yeah and how many times have you walked into a car dealership and you were thinking about a certain type of car and a certain type of driving experience and certain requirements and the guy starts spewing the stats and he takes you around the car and you're just like you know, just leave me alone. Let me look at the car. Let me figure out what I'm thinking of, what my criteria are. That's where we're missing the mark. It's that simple. And we're just not doing it. We're not asking first. We're not finding out. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and to that point, it's still you know, the according to North American Automobile Dealers Automobile Dealer Automobile Dealers Association. Sorry, I can't speak very clearly today. You know, the average car buyer visits one dealership before making a decision. So, because everything else they can do online. I mean, heaven forbid we get to that place with business-to-business sales and you know, products of some complexity because it'll happen only because we let it get that way as salespeople and as sellers. Well, it is moving that way anyway. So then the question is, what is the role of the salesperson? And I think the role of the salesperson is to be able to answer those specific questions and have the tools at his disposal to do that. In a timely fashion. Right. Exactly. Exactly. To be right there. That's right. All right. Well, Kristen, thank you very much for joining me today on the show. You're welcome. I enjoyed it. So how can people get in touch with you? Um, I have, we have a website, which is cloudpotential.com. My Twitter feed is Kristen Zhivago, of all things. Um, like Dr. Zhivago for fans of the movie. Yes, yes. And the book. Uh, <laughs> and the book, yes. Shouldn't forget Pastor Nack's book. Right. And we do have a new site up uh, with a lot of interesting resources called beingfound.com. And what will they find there? Um, a lot of things that I've been talking about, especially operating principles for this digital age that we're living in. Mm-hmm. What we're finding is people are chasing tactics at the expense of principles with or without principles. And it's really costing them big time because the tactics don't work without principles. So that's one of the things we've been writing about recently. And then just this whole phenomenon about being found. And we'll just and keep it, plugging new resources into that. Sure. When you talk about principles, you mean being principled like integrity and ethical principles? <laughs> uh, no, these are principles like um, the battle, the wars are, are won with principles, not tactics. Um, mm-hmm. Everything starts with the customer. Meet customer expectations, Google expectations, and revenue expectations mm-hmm. if you succeed in this environment. So things like that. Okay, excellent. Well, good. Well, thanks again for being on the show. You're welcome. Thank you. And f- Yeah, my pleasure. And friends, thank you for joining us again today. Remember, come back and join us again tomorrow for our next episode. Until then, I appreciate it. If you take a second, go to iTunes, subscribe to this podcast, leave a review for Accelerate to let us know what we can do to help provide even more value for you. So thanks again for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. 